you can go in and be brief, demonstrate your competency in a memorable way and get out of there, you're going to leave a good impression. Welcome to the Sales Expert Podcast, where we explore the world of sales from the perspective of industry experts and thought leaders. My name is Oshin Brown. And I'm Dara O'Connor. And this podcast expert is Alan Kearns, founder and CEO of the Inner Winner Institute. Alan, how are you? How are you guys? How are terrific. I'm doing well. Doing well. Alan, can you tell me what is the Inner Winner Institute? The Inner Winner Institute um, provides a range of services for corporates and organizations, I suppose. Um, some of the some of the the key services and programs and offerings I suppose we provide companies is effective communications, sales training, um, public speaking and presentation. Uh, we didn't do a lot in leadership as well in developing the leaders as coaches and leaders as um, you know developing really their, their leadership skills and how to get how to leverage the power of the people they lead. Um, building in that caring culture and that culture of care as well. Um, we look at it very much in terms of the culture of an organization and how we can implement a really strong culture over a sustained period of time. It doesn't happen overnight. Um, we also work with teams, local teams first, in terms of how they can become their own high-performing team. But then more importantly, how can you get cross-functional or cross-departmental collaboration? Because that's where the magic happens, you know, rather than that siloed effect and the knowledge share and supporting each other. Can you go through that in a bit more detail there, Alan, particularly that silo, siloed effect and how you get collaboration kind of going, particularly, I suppose, when you go into the organization and at that stage, the senior managers have identified that there is problems and, and they need everybody kind of working more harmonious and, and together. It's always great when I come from the top down first and when the MD or the senior board or the executive directors see that first and they bring in for that because that will ensure accountability and it cascades right down to other organization, which is critical. The cascading of these behavioral changes and systems and processes. But for example, I worked with a company who whose turnover was 180 million, maybe four or five years ago. And the MD came in recently and he was one of his big goals was that he wanted his ops team and his business development team to work far more collaboratively together to drive the business forward. Because he saw the ops guys as key people and stakeholders in terms of sales as well and front of house for clients. And they had the, the knowledge and then the BD team. And we just took them away for two days and we really opened them up to you know, high quality facilitation, high quality questions. And basically asking them, how are we going to work better together going forward for the benefit of the organization? And the team knew the answers because they're in it. Uh, they know what was wrong. They know what needed to. They had great suggestions. And when, when, the, when the teams are facilitated and the department of the functions are facilitated in a way that opens them up, builds relationships, builds trust, then magic happens. Which teams knew the answers, Alan? Was it, was it the operations team knew their own, their own answers? All great teams have honest conversations and you have to have real hard, honest conversations. And that was contracted from the very start, you know, and facilitated. And was it hard to open up those conversations? No, we do different things beforehand that allow people to get you know each other on a personal level first as human beings rather than just a BD and an app guy or a commercial guy and a whatever guy or a lady. When you open up that and people see each other for human beings first, all the same struggles, all the same worries, all the same anxieties, all the same aspirations, you know, and they connect on the human level first, then there's far more and more respect and far more empathy and far more understanding for each other's situation and understanding and walk a mile in each other's shoes and understanding each other's roles and responsibilities. And then they will together collaboratively come up with answers that will create a win-win for both, if you know what I mean. 
and win for the organization, a win for the client, a win for the BD, a win for the app. And you're creating all these win, 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 wins. You know what I mean? They know the answers. And when they come up with the answers, they're then far more likely to implement them because they own them. They came up with them, the stare ideas, as long as the good ones and everyone agrees that this is the way forward. And this will definitely improve how we do things and how we work together over the next six months, even by just 10%. One thing we did was we framed that the, that the BD and the ops were going to be one team. You're not two different teams now. For the purpose of these two days and going forward, we are one team. So what are the key, and we define their key traits as one team. And then the rate of their key traits out of 100%. And then they were asked to identify if they were challenged to improve one area or two by just 10% of those key A traits that they believe that would have the single biggest impact on how they work together going forward over the next six months, what area would that be? And they normally, generally 90% would cover the same area okay. or two. And then we go away and challenge them, okay, what are the simple key actionable goals that we can implement right now over the next few weeks that will improve that 10%? And what does that 10% look like? What will we be doing? in order to, to move the dial by that 10% in this particular area. What are the simple things? And who's going to drive it? Who's going to own it? When is it going to be done? And by what date? So you build in that accountability. And then you meet them at 90 days later and you review and refine and go again. And you do that for a number of months over over, eight, over 18 months until they become autonomous and they can do together that the built in that kind of habitual cross-communication, cross-collaboration, cross-workings. When that happens, Alan, and there's somebody on the team, be it the ops team or the sales team, that's struggling, how do you address that? There's a reason for that. So I think you need to get to the bottom of the reason first. As a leader, as a manager, because it could be a professional thing where they need a bit more training and a bit more support. Or else it could be something away from what is causing that. Someone who, who's just, maybe they're slower than others. Maybe they're not hitting their targets. Yeah, well, I believe all great leaders are great managers. And I always ask the question to, to think of all the great leaders and all the great managers you've worked under or worked with. You know, how do they make you feel? I always get different answers back, but it ultimately boils down to when you add, when you add it all up. And from my own experience, they genuinely cared about me. That the greatest human needs to be loved, valued, and belonged. I think it's a great talk by Simon Sinek. He said, a leader's job is not to lead. A leader's job is to take care of the people he leads. How important is it for the sales manager to be involved in that person's life, to know what's going on in that person's life? A leader, as Jack Daly said, a sales leader, our sales manager should not be selling. His main purpose is to develop, help grow salespeople in quantity and in quality. So all his time should be focused on the people and developing them and growing them. And that includes away from work because they did a survey in, I think, the PFA in the UK from the Premier League. And if a player's life was some way off, he had challenges in his personal life, what do you think his on-field performance was reduced by? On average, 30%, between 20 and 30%. So if he's gambling or if he's relationship issues or if he's cheating on his wife or if he's fighting with his whatever, or if she's saying, you know, if um, you know, they, you're distracted totally. You know if you're a sick child at home, you come to work, you're exhausted, you haven't slept, you're not going to perform at the same level. Same with players. So if that's, if that's consistent and constant for a number of months, then that has a huge impact. And so the number of people are employees like that, then the team is going to go, performance is going to go way down. So all great managers have a great understanding of what's going on away from from workplace or the pitch for, for, for players or for, 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 for employees. Not in a nosy way, but in a genuine, empathetic way. Because he knows he wants to support them. 
in any challenges. And if he supports or he should, or if the leader, he or she supports their their staff away from work. Like, like I'll give you an example, all great managers, all great leaders, I believe, them, genuinely, it's not token, because people can pick up before this, genuinely are very interested in what's going on away from work from their employees. And they genuinely support them when they when they're in trouble. They give them that leeway, they give them that space, they give them that support, they can give them logistical support if they're in a position to do so. They give them that emotional support, they give them that understanding and time away. And in return, the that means huge loyalty, huge reciprocity. And that I would go through a brick wall for any manager to do that for me, from the shit of Stefan. And I think a lot of managers that leaders miss that. They just see them as the BD or the opposite or their or their salesperson and they're a piece of meat. And they're just there to produce the bottom line or the output, 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 output. Not produce an output, out. Which is the reason they may not be producing the output. Yes, then if it's poor performance and lazy, you have to have the rootlessness to get rid of them. Because they're no good to you. But there's often a reason why their output isn't where it should be. And often it can be away from work. Or often it can be within work with, you know, challenges within the team. And you need to identify that and try and sort that out. You spoke about premiership and uh, management. You are a former Goa senior inter-county hurler and footballer, winning national titles in both sports. How much have you learned of the behaviour on the field and the training and competition uh, from sport? How much of that uh, is transferable to business and sales teams? Oh, hugely. Like one thing... If a team is not aligned or on the same page, they're going nowhere. So the first team you've got to get it. Re- at. All the successful teams were hugely aligned and knew where they were going. You know, all great teams that were involved with set standards. We knew what the standards looked like. And then we would not accept mediocrity from each other. So we were challenging each other as well. And we were all connected to a bigger purpose than ourselves. If it was to win it for the village or the sick people in the village, or if it was to win it or it was to make a difference in Africa for the children, even through recessions. That why, he was a why can overcome anyhow. If your why is big enough, you know, nothing is impossible. And, and that sense of purpose as well. Is there a sense of purpose within that team? What's the sense of purpose? What are we connected to? And how would you challenge each other, Alan? Oh, well, so for example, if if we... So one of the great things that the Michal Dunhu did when he came in for Claren Bridge and the former goal manager, when we won the All-Ireland with Claren Bridge, um, you know, a, me in particular, I suppose I was older, but I wasn't the leader I should have been, and he called me out in it. And we had a falling out a little bit and I left for three weeks, but I came back, but he was right. And then he challenged the rest of us to become leaders. And he challenged the rest of us to set the standard and then call each other out if lads didn't meet that standard. Because it's far more powerful than the team and players driving it, uh, driving it internally rather than an external voice trying to motivate the manager shouting at you all the time. So we were inspired to drive it forward. And so if a guy wasn't putting in a train, I'd call him out. The guy was drinking and, and acting, acting the maggot around town. We'd call him out. And we lost three or four players over it because of consistency, not not assist. And, you know, and, but we only had 17 or 18 players. We got, look, we didn't get injured, but we won the All-Ireland. But three or four players were, could have been on the team or definitely featured. They didn't meet the standard of behaviour we required that we knew we needed to take to win. So peer accountability is a huge part. Player accountability, employee accountability is huge. But you have, that doesn't happen overnight. You have to build that over time. And that has to become accepted and you define it and you 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 demonstrate what success is like you demonstrate what you want. Yes, there's going to be challenges at the start, but then it becomes a habit and becomes normal where you have those honest conversations with each other as players. And you're not a, they know it's coming and they're going to accept it if it's coming from you. Yeah, they book up or, book, or, or, or go, you know. You know, there's a few chances obviously you give them, but it was consistent and 
there's no behavioral change after three or four mistakes or three or four mis- misdemeanors you have to be ruthless but because like, like as i said to people i was coming down i was recently married or whatever i was children you know you're, you're it's been an awful lot of time down this particular pitch and and away from ha- family away from work away from potential earnings and there's these lads here who come down you know pulling the piss you know what i mean and not putting it in so why are they wasting my time or the other pe- other players signs if you're not going to be here and work while we're here don't do it why why are you bothering coming if you're not going to prove yourself and put it in when you're there what's the point in being there you know and for the few months of the year you can't can mind yourself a little bit yes go for your drinks if you have to uh, when, when the time's right but why are you sacrificing the team's goal and your mate and your teammates dreams and goals that was how we framed it you know and it worked and i think all great teams do not accept mediocrity from each other or from their management as well so everyone knows what that success is and it's defined and clearly everyone knows what it clearly looks like uh, and what good behaviours and good uh, standards look like compared to poor. Then it's easily policed, if you know what I mean, or caught it below because it's staying in front of their faces. They can't deny it. There's a great phrase that, that you came up with, or that you introduced us to recently at an event that you spoke at. It was, um, be brief, be brilliant, be gone. Can you go through that for our listeners, kind of explain how you apply that? Yeah, I think uh, when you're delivering a message or when you're delivering a, a speech or uh, a public presentation people's time now is their time poor and they don't want to hear ramblers or rabbit on or bullshit excuse the language and particularly leaders if you're going to an md he's more likely to be a or an ops guy or a leader of a project they're more likely to be d personality as in and they're all about results 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 and their speed so if you, if you can go in and be brief demonstrate your competency in a memorable way and get out of there you're going to leave a good impression Nobody gives out about uh, a sharp, punchy, funny, or not so funny speech at a wedding. But everyone gives out about it. Like, it goes on forever and ever and ever and ever. If you know what I mean? Particularly now in, in modern day where our memories are gone and our you know, people are very much conscious of their time and they're under pressure. There's a saying going, as I said, in communication. When you're delivering a message or delivering a presentation, be brief, be brilliant, be done. And people respect that. Because you're respecting their time, you're demonstrating your competency, you're, you're out of there. You're getting to the bottom line. You're, you're getting to the point. You're getting to the bottom line quick and you're memorable. Now, some people like the old bit of social. So we train people to kind of read very quickly what type of personality is in front of them. Be it using the DIS model because it's simple. Are they people orientated or are they task orientated? And then the next question is, are they fast or are they slow paced? And then you can change your approach situation depending on the type of personality that's in front of you some like to be very thorough and very slow like the that the eyes crosses any process procedures any time to reflect on it they like a little bit of a slower approach and they need detail some like to be liked and recognized so the, the influencers they like a little bit of social so the different approaches you need to take to different personalities because they you know everyone's different but in general be brief brilliant be gone tends to work for most uh, i think it's a it's a it's a foolproof piece of advice Particularly in presentation, you know, and meetings and pitches. I think the key to a good sales conversation is listening. But uh, salespeople can be avid speakers and talkers as well. A big thing with salespeople is they are always prescribing, prescribing, prescribing. Like with the, the selling the pen exercise or the white paper exercise that we did. Um, they're always prescribing, 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 but they don't ask the questions. All great leaders and all great individuals and all great teams constantly upgrade the quality of the questions they ask of themselves. Ask better questions, you get better answers. And then that's where you need to listen. 
So we'd be of the mindset to really encourage salespeople to first ask these great questions. So you're, you know, you're examining the situation. You're examining what the, no point selling a guy a pen if, if he's never going to use the pen. You ask him what type of pen would he like? Or what type of pen would he use? Then you're getting gold back there, you know what I mean? Then you can diagnose and then you prescribe. So that like, like in the medical terms, you examine, you diagnose, and then you prescribe. And you can transfer that to sales really, really successfully. Thought about asking questions first and then listening. And then you understand what they want or what they're looking for. And then you can tailor your approach and your sale then based on that. And you have to kind of adapt in the situation as well, or else come back later with, with, with an offering to, to solve the solution. A, a big thing I would say to salespeople as well is for every difficult relationship or any client or any relationship, you are 50% responsible. Can you give us a bit more in, insight into that 50% responsibility? So, what, so we'll, we'll just use it for difficult relationships first, and you can transfer it to any relationship then. So, and they say for any difficult relationship you're involved with, or you have, you are 50% responsible. But who do we blame? The other person. Instead of focusing on our 50% first. And a, gr a great mentor and a great coach of mine asked me two questions once when I was talking about this difficult relationships and difficult teams. He told me, Alan, you're 50% responsible. And he said, I want you to think about this question and reflect on this question. He said, Alan, what's it like to be on the other end of you? Alan, what's it like to experience you? Are you draining the shit out of those people? Are you negative? Are you boring? Have you low energy? Have you come with always problems? Or are you come with huge energy, huge empathy, huge compassion, huge enthusiasm, solutions, offering of support, care, empathy, inspiring, you know, full of life. And he says, you've got to focus on your 50% response. You are 50% You are 50% first. And ask the question, what would you like the person on the other end to experience? How would you like them to experience you? And then make sure they experience that. So you have to change your 50% first. And when you change your 50%, and be accountable for your 50%, the other person generally changes because behavior begets behavior, generally, not all the time, but the majority of the time. And it was an unbelievable piece of advice, I thought. The same with salespeople. They go in all the same, all the same way. They never think about the other person. They never think about what they'd like to experience them or what type of experience they would like to have. They'd like to create for their client or their customer. And they sleepwalk into every meeting and they just go generic, generic, generic. They don't change that experience or consciously decide what experience they're going to create and then what behaviors and how they need to behave to create that experience. You know, we, we all know that great quote, but Maya, Maya Angelou, nobody forgets what you said or did, but they'll never forget how you made them feel. Very similar to how the great managers made you feel that they cared about you. Nobody wants to be sold to. People want to be helped. And they say you should care more about the client or the customer than you do about the sale or the product. But you need to be passionate about the product. Another great quote I heard from the, some of the you know world famous experts: "Fall in love with the product and fall in love with the difference the product makes, and sell the love." And I think people will pick up on that passion and that genuine conviction and belief that you have about your product. Because you know people pick up frauds and fakes; they just do. If you don't sell with conviction, if you're not passionate about what you're doing, if you don't really believe in what you're selling, it's very difficult to sell. People buy people, like you know, we really encourage people to really invest in relationships as well. As Bobby said the last day, if I don't like you, I'm not going to buy from you. You know, he said that. And that's the same me. If I don't like the person, I'm not going to buy from them. So you've got to really look at how people buy people and they're going to buy you over the product. If it comes down to, as most products are quite similar, you know. Alan, there's another remarkability about you and about what you do from, from a help perspective and getting the most out of people. And you've been involved in some serious fundraising and charitable efforts. And that following up with what you do, ethos is something I think that you've applied. Can you go through that and kind of, I suppose, explain to us a bit more maybe about 
those charitable efforts, but how you've got other people to buy in is probably the wrong word, but it's the, got people to believe in, in themselves and in your cause. In my background, I'm a physiotherapist by profession, qualified from Trinity College. And I worked in the hospitals in Galway for seven or eight years. And then in 2005, I volunteered to go to Zambia to work with an Irish nun for three months in a home for disabled children. And that totally changed, I suppose, my outlook in life and my, my priorities and my, my values and my perspective in life, really. And I came back and I started, because there was children dying in the sand there. If they were disabled, they were left there, you know, because it's harder to survive when you're fit and the mind when you're disabled. There was a famine there at the time. She was trying to feed 800 families as well as running a home for disabled children. No running water. So it was, uh, you know, hospitals with the mor- with the electricity gone and the morgue stinking. And, you know, it was, it was pretty, um, I suppose, harrowing scenes for me coming from the west of Galway. So I decided I'd like to, she was an inspirational figure, uh, sacrificing her life for this in the middle of nowhere. Nobody knew her. I just decided she needed, her story needed to be told. And with the platform, I suppose, and the, Profile I had with playing GEA with, with Galway in two sports. I decided I would try and raise some money for her. And my initial target was just 5,000 euros to sink a well, a borehole, for clean drinking water. And that simple borehole would have three huge impacts. One, the kids could go to school because they weren't ferrying water from the 10 miles away. They were now only one kilometre away. Two, they were clean drinking water because we could test the water so it reduces illnesses. And three, then she was going to start a, a farming project where she would uh, help the, fa- the families grow their own crops. And this water would help irrigate their soil because she couldn't keep feeding the 800 families with too much money a month, 20 grand a month, whatever we needed to get to her. So that's what we started off and that grew to 20 million. So people buy emotion, I think, Dara. And so during, when I came back in 2005, put the pictures out, we got the Ireland final in 2005 against Cork, we're beaten. We, we told a great story. And people could see me in the picture, so they were related to that. And I was hugely passionate about it as well. I think this bought that passion and genuineness. But that, that was easy then because it was Kenty Tiger and everyone's throwing money at everything. But then in August 2008, I decided to go full-time with the charity because we got so much money in. I need to you know, do it in a proper way and regulation and transparency and set a board. And, but then the, what happened in September? So in August, I remember I signed my name, resigned from the HSC. And uh, I, <laughs> in September... What do you think happened then in 2008? You know, the crash hit, the crash happened. The people buy emotionally, yeah, you know, if they're buying logic, you know, everyone will have a, a ladder. But the people people buy to how, because of how it makes them feel. But in, in, in emotion too, in charity in particular, we surveyed, in, particularly during the crash, because it was very difficult to get money for Africa or for foreign charities because nobody had it first. Disposable income was gone. And all the foundations and all the philanthropies were focusing on helping local causes because it was everyone's in a bit of trouble, you know, you know, and mental health became huge. You know, all the charities in Ireland helping, you know, disabilities and autism and all this took a huge cut from the from the government because they didn't have it. So they needed help. And everyone focused hospitals, etc. So everyone focused on local, 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 and that's only fair, right? But we looked at why do people give to one charity over the other? And, and we strategically looked at it and we said, okay, they give to charities that they're emotionally connected. So for example, I, my little guy was critically in hospital. He Tapestry did an amazing job from saving his life. Now I'll be forever helping Tapestry because I'm emotionally connected. The hospitals have had many families. People are emotionally connected to that or Cree, you know? So how do we emotionally connect the corporate people and the, and the influencers? 
to the people we meet because the, the, these children in Africa and that we have and families are dying every day and they really, really need our help, but nobody knows them. So, the far, so they don't know the impact. And no matter how you tell them, it's very difficult to understand. So then I said, okay, how do I emotionally connect these corporates and these um, uh, philanthropists to our cause that they can give in a more regular way? So I came up with a, a way of said, okay, let's bring them to that. Let's predispose them to it. I went to companies that look at it and I told them my experience, how Africa changed me, helped me fulfill my potential because I came back and realized how lucky I was. These kids have the same dreams as me to become sports stars, doctors, nurses, whatever. By pure fluke of geograph, by pure geographical fluke, I was born here and they were born there. Like, why wasn't I born there? So I had all this at my fingertips. And here are these kids who are the main goals to get enough food that day. And here's me underachieving or not, not grabbing life by the balls and achieving everything I can because of, I can't. They can't because of where they were born. So that really gave me a good kick up the ass to really try and do great things, you know, to be in sport or charity or work or whatever and make a difference. So I, I went into the company and said, I told them that. I said, he said, you give 10 grand to charity and generally all you get back maybe is a letter or thank you or a picture. If you give us 10 grand, I'll bring your top leaders to Zambia and we'll give you this experience. We'll bring top sports psychologists and performance psychologists. And in that environment, when you're really stripped back and you're really going to question everything, you're in the, the, the red sand of Africa, it's raw, it's pure, it's spiritual, it's natural. You know, you're in a space that you can really go deep and reflect. We will create really powerful workshops for you and your staff, and they're going to come back a brilliant leader and a brilliant person. And you can see where your money's going. We brought companies set up like Vodafone, like Top Form, like Medtronic, Dalkia, you know, we, Aer Lingus. And we brought them out and they had unbelievable experiences. We brought top psychologists and top performance psychologists. And then I trained in that arena to facilitate. That's how I got into this game, as it was. But people came back totally changed and totally um, inspired and transformed. But they met the people they were helping, they fell in love with them, they became emotionally connected with it. And some gave for life. One individual was an MD of a big company, was retiring. He gave six months of his time for the last five years going out, scaling up. Like that home for the disabled children was totally donor dependent. So this individual, he developed a 78 bedroom guest house, a hundred seater restaurant and a big block making plant that we'd already been in place. But he scaled them up and he invested in huge time in training the locals to run it. And now those two social enterprises are making big money there. And all that money goes back into running the home for disabled children. So we don't give the money anymore. It was We went down the social enterprise model as well then as well. You know, where we invested in developing enterprises and developing people so that they can generate their own income and become self-sustaining villages and communities rather than become reliant on, on us. To go along, I know I ranted there. I wasn't be brief. I really be gone there. But my main point is you've got to sell the vision. You've got to be really passionate about the vision. And then you've got to emotionally connect, predispose them to, to your product or through your cause or through the work that you do because it's very hard to tell them the impact when they're of this side of the world. You just, you can't. You have to go and feel it and experience it. I'm a big believer in that kinesthetic learning. You know, you've got to feel the benefits, see it, taste it, smell it, and then you're far more likely to secure long-term supporters. There's a huge crossover in skills from uh, fundraising to sales, would you say? Oh, what I was about, yeah. For example, this year, I came up with the concept of planting a million trees. I'm going to plant six million in the next two years with Plant to Planet Games. And I always wanted to bring an all-star team or an intercom team to Africa. And I came up with the concept of Plant to Planet Games, and where I brought 50 of Ireland's top GA stars last November to Kenya. They all had to raise 10 grand, and we planted, we raised enough money to plant a million trees. 
yes, those trees, and that's a, yes, those trees are going to have a huge impact on the environment over the next 100 or 200 years, but also hundreds of thousands of families will be trained to live off these trees long after we're gone because they're going to be educated. Alan, if I can interrupt you there, you know, 10 grand is a lot of money. Yeah. It's a lot of money to raise. How do you get that buy-in from people as those initially when you're approaching them? Yeah, I suppose, well, again, I saw the vision and I said to the players, you know, this is going to be a historic trip. You're paying to the emotion as well. It's going to be the first inter-county game ever in Africa. We'd like to be part of that. It's going to be the first ever male-female trip for the four cores that represented such significance. The goal of the trip is to plant one million trees and leave a huge collective legacy. Imagine walking away next Christmas saying you're a part of a group to leave a huge collective legacy of planting a million trees. If you do nothing else in life, you're going to leave a massive difference if you come on this trip. And hundreds of thousands of families are going to live long, are going to live off these trees long after we're gone because these trees are going to be food crops, they're going to be cash crops, they're going to be nitrous in the soil, they're going to be shelter belts, they're going to rehabilitate degraded soil, deforestation, replace that. And it's, we're going to leave a huge collective legacy and we're going to have good fun as well. And the friendships you're going to meet on this trip are going to be last forever. But you just tell them the truth and you tell it in a passionate way. And then we coach them. So going back to Jack Daly, I had 50 high profile people coming on the trip. So my main focus on that trip was to help them to get their 10 grand. The easiest way from what, what we coached them to do was to order their network. They, through their sports and through the GA, their club and their county, they would know a lot of people who were either very wealthy or who, who were very influential in big companies that are big into GA. That was the low hanging fruit. That was a prospect. Then we were saying, go and meet them for a cup of coffee and sell them why you're going and the difference. And then present the opportunity to the company. If the company sponsors you 10 grand, they can say they are planting 25,000 trees with you, which is true. They can say they're going to write off 605 tons of carbon over the next 100 years. So you're presenting them a free ESG policy. And that's the business need now for people. They can write off against tax because it's a charitable donation. You're offering to be a brand ambassador for the year and do four or five events with them, photo shoots. Fireside chats, motivation talks with your staff. Then you're going to have TG Cairo coming on a documentary with us to give them all the social media content for free, which they can use to create massive positive PR on what they're doing publicly and on their social platforms. So in essence, you're probably giving them 100 grand of a package for 10 grand. And you're giving them a free ESG policy, a free brand ambassador, staff events, client events. And we will give them their staff a, a free planting day in Ireland as the team building experience as well. It was a win, 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 win. There's a load of wins there for everybody in that package. You know what I mean? And it's... And, and the players did that and they all, the majority of them got, you know, corporate. Some went off and just did fundraisers. A lot of them blew their target. Some raised 28 grand, 25, 20, 19, 18s, 15s. What was the final uh, total raised? I would say we haven't, we're still waiting on it to come in, but it's between six and 700,000, probably seven, I'd say, you know. But yeah, so it's, I'm not, I don't quote me on that, but it's, we blew the target anyway, so it was great. Brilliant. Well done. We're going again this year. It was such success, and the players have just experienced. Um, and the TG Carr did a great doc. Nematon did a great documentary on it. And um, it's the narrative you create around your story, um, the words you use, but it's only the emotion and the passion and the emotion, you know what I mean, and the conviction and the belief in, in making that difference, in leaving that legacy. Obviously, it's a very topical issue as well, trees and environment. So you're taking action as well. Like A lot of people are talking about taking action, but they're not doing anything about it in COP and all these places. But we're taking action. And that was the thing we're saying as well. We're actually taking action. We're going to go out there and we'll be planting the million trees. We're starting the process of it. Will you support me on this? Will you be part of this vision? Will you be part of this initiative that's going to make a massive difference? Another great call we used to use was to look, be a great ancestor. You know, we're doing this for the, for the 
to become good ancestors though our grand great grandchildren will have a, a place to live and a society and a, and a home i suppose on this planet amazing alan to wrap up what's one piece of advice you could uh give any sales person or business person out there from your learnings in leadership that will help them have a better day a better team uh, hit their targets whatever it is that their end goal is that's a good question <laughs> there's many things collaboration you know people buy people relationships invest in relationships because leadership is a relationship through which you influence the actions and behaviors of others really identify who are the key relationships you really really need to develop where they're at now where you'd like them to be at and invest in a, in a, in, a, in in building those relationships so that they're at you know high trust and through those relationships then anything is possible and that collaborative you can't do anything alone you need people with you you've got to bring people with you really try to care and support the people you lead because they'll repay and spit in spades if you do in a genuine way and not in a, in a tick box way but in a genuine way and the other thing is how do you want people to experience you take responsibility for you you're 50 first and then watch others change. Alan, that's brilliant. Thanks very much for sharing your story. No worries, guys. Thank you very much. You're an inspiration to us and to our listeners. So thanks again for your time, Alan. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Sales Expert Podcast. I hope you found our conversation with our guests insightful and informative. If you've enjoyed today's episode and are motivated and inspired to hear more from top sales professionals, be sure to subscribe and follow the podcast to keep up to date with our latest weekly episodes. Also, if you're new to this podcast, please have a listen back to the previous episodes. If you'd like to contribute as a guest, please drop us an email to salesexpertpodcast at gmail.com. Our mission is to bring you valuable and insightful strategies from the best and brightest minds in the sales industry so you can level up your sales game and achieve your goals. Thank you for listening and we'll join you next week on the Sales Expert Podcast.